Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Marika Fino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Hi, Mago. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you, Marieka? Yeah, super nice. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for accepting my invitation and to Errol, because she's the one that put us in contact. So really, thank you if you listen to us. If I tell a bit about you, so you're based in Paris and you're a sexologist. And today we're going to speak about how to make the money talk more romantic. And you're probably asking yourself what the link between money and sex, but please bear with us. It all makes sense. <laughs> so there's a lot of studies that have shown that couples who have similar spending habits, saving goals and attitudes towards money are much more likely to have a successful long-term relationship because money is known as one of the leading causes of divorce and there's always statistics in the US. So in the US, it's estimated that financial problems contribute to actually 20 to 40% of all the divorces. So is it how you actually link relationship and money in your job? Yes, well, thank you for the invite, Marieka. And yes, definitely. As you said, I am a sexologist, so my job is really to help couples and individuals having a better sex life and in general, having a better romantic life. And uh, usually people tend to focus on their mental health, their their health in general. But when we get into conversation in therapy, they don't automatically think of the link between their professional life and therefore the money they earn and the relationship. And so this is how I'm linking relationship and money in my job, because sometimes we think that the problem is only due to our partner, but sometimes there can be something deeper. And what is deeper is usually our relationship towards money. And this is why it comes into action, because it calls about our identity. And when you work about money on people, it generally says a lot about who they feel they are and how money was part of their construction as a future adult. Yeah, so interesting. And and we know, I mean, I've, I've spoken a lot about it, but that money habits are formed by the age of seven, that you have seven generations behind you that are going to impact you. So of course, it's a lot of uh, baggage in a way <laughs> that you hold. So all makes sense. And it's, I don't know if we'll maybe talk about this later, but it's called what I, the financial and the financial heritage. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> like the, the emotional financial heritage of the people. <laughs> as you said, it, we can link up to seven generations. So we carry on us the history of our family. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us what you've discovered uh, while speaking to Kapu about the money relationship? What are the three or whatever key takeaways? 
So there is lots of things that are very interesting. I have lots of statistics, but I'm not going to give you all of them because it will be way too long. <laughs> However, there's lots of things linked to the sexology that I really want to share. It's like the higher and the more the women earn in terms of money and the more they're likely to say no for a sexual intercourse. I don't know if that makes sense. So the more money you earn and the more you're likely to say no for sexual intercourse. It means that when you don't earn that much or where your diploma is below the one of your partner, male partner, I spoke here because I, I really, my studies were based on heterosexual couples they're more likely to say yes. And this is very important because this is really the tiny link between money and couples. Because, well, we could think like the consent is not linked to money. Well, it seems to be yes. In fact, it appears to be linked to the money you earn. So this is one of the big overviews that I have. And also something that is very, for, according to me, very important is 40% of women that are financially economic dependent on their partner in France. It's huge. It means that if you walk in the street in Paris or in any cities in, in France, four women out of 10 are dependent of their men. So it means that they don't have their freedom to live if they want to. And therefore, I'm always asking, is their sexuality is really based on consent or related to the statistics that I just spoke before? Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. So really like money has a strong impact on how we're going to give or not our consent in sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. I never thought about it that way. So I'm super pleased to hear, but it's crazy statistics. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy statistics because as you said at the beginning on the intro, we don't necessarily think to make the link between sex and money, but we have to remember that sex, power and money are, uh, the, are the triptych, are the base of uh, what is called virility in France. It's about masculinity. It's about the identity of men in general. So usually when you have power, sex, and money, it's always linked. And when you think of these three words, you think of uh, uh, what we call HSBC. So it's a heterosexual, cisgender, men, white men in general. So you see, as long as you're going to come to change a bit of the way it occurs between these three variables, it will change the relationship with people. Yeah, totally makes sense. Thank you. Love that. And uh, do you have any statistics to share, like the, the percentage of people in a relationship who actually know their partner's income? And why I'm asking is that I read an article not a long time ago about someone who was looking at Glassdoor? It's a website in the UK where you have like all the range of salaries in order to try to find out a partner's income. I mean, <laughs> I was quite stunned and surely there's a better way. So do you know if a lot of people actually open up? Alors, unfortunately, I don't know because uh, in France, I don't know if it's different in different countries, but maybe I didn't find them or maybe they weren't available. However, yeah, I know that people, they don't talk about that money easily. I don't have any official statistic. However, I advise you to make the test and it's kind of a game. So when you attend to a party and you ask to uh, people around us, yourself, ask them two questions. The first question is, oh, when was the last time you had sex? And the second question you can ask is, how much do you earn? And you, you ask them to choose be, to answer to one of those three questions. And usually... Actually, people, the sex one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Usually, because I don't, I don't tell I'm a sexologist because otherwise it would be biased. 
But I made like a little social experiment. So I'm sure I'm not going to have any friends after this podcast. It's okay. <laughs> but usually, yeah, people are more at ease to speak about their sexuality than to open up about the salary they earn. So uh, really, I keep your question in mind and I will definitely to have make some research. Mm -hmm. Love the, the two questions though. <laughs> so can you tell us in terms of emotions, what is the money subject bringing to people? And why is it so taboo? Okay, so it's very an interesting question and it's a bit linked to the first words that I said at the beginning of the podcast is that usually when you talk about money, you don't only talk about money. You talk about yourself. You talk about the way you've been raised. You talk about the way you've been raised towards money. You talk about the fact that your parents have money or not and in which kind of environment you grow up. And therefore, you know, you have to think that when people are going to live together, they are going, it's not only them that are going to live together, but it's also their families. And therefore, all your education toward finance or your not education, all your habits toward consumption, all the way you've been trained and the way you saw the money, it tells much more about you and your family than just about what you have in your wallet. And so the emotions can be very triggered. Like you can feel jealousy, you can feel anger, you can feel shame. You have lots of shame. It's something that really comes out. You can feel very uncomfortable. So yeah, it's not just about money. It's finally about your education and about your family history. You know, in France, we have this problem of the people, what we call les transfuges de classe. It means that people who grow up in a certain environment and due to some external or internal circumstances, they're going to raise up Is that going to change a social class or they're going to lower? And all this question, it's always about your identity in the end. Hmm. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I love that explanation. And I didn't even think that money could be like so whole in a way. Yeah, thank you. So we've seen there's a lot of awkwardness when speaking about money, that's for sure. So have you noticed maybe if there's one profile that is more likely to make the first step or On the contrary, some people who are 90% sure to avoid the discussion. Honestly, because I made a study for my uh, diploma in sexology, so I studied the impact of the sexual and emotional impact of when women earn more than men. But in general, I think now there is like a trend, of a, a trend, sorry. Men are more likely to speak about money than women because it's how generally little boys have been raised. And it's very easy because it comes out since they were little. When they're a little boy, they are more educated to take risk, you see. So for instance, they are going to make spots that are a bit dangerous. Uh, they are going to climb on trees. They are going to climb everywhere. They are going more likely to fall and more likely to go to the doctor. Whereas when you're a little girl, there are always people around you telling you, oh, be careful, or oh, a girl shouldn't do this, and so on. And therefore, this is going to set up the base of our aversion to risk. And therefore, this is why we encounter more men in financial jobs than women, because they have been trained to risk. They have been trained to take risks since they were like three or four years old. Whereas us girls, we've not been trained risk on the same way. The risk is the other. The risk is outside. You see, when you have a little girl 
going outside the house, it's always, oh, la, la, be careful, my darling. The world is horrible and you have lots of nasty people and you don't know on who you can relate it to. So let's go back to the money aspect. So one of the first occasion to speak about money is probably around splitting bills, but it also can come when you decide to move in together or when you're about to buy your flat or have a baby. I mean, plenty of occasions. So how early do you think should the discussion arise? At the beginning, <laughs> really at the beginning. Like, for instance, as I like to say, the discussion around money is the most easiest of the difficult conversation in the couple. It means that if your couple is meant to be, if you're meant to stay with your partner, you shouldn't be afraid of talking about money. Therefore, usually the first conversation occurred when you have the first big holidays. And I'm not talking about a, a two days weekend, like when you're going away for one week and you need to plan the train tickets, you need to plan uh, the booking of the place, you need to plan the groceries you're going to buy this week and so on. So yeah, as soon the sooner the conversation happens, the better it is. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of people who are okay with their own money, but as soon as they get into the relationship, it's kind of a disaster. <laughs> so how can we go beyond assigned gender roles? And I think it's really about the gender roles that really impact the relationship because, yeah, on their own, they're fine. But what do you mean? So what do you mean uh, it's a disaster? I mean, they don't know how to behave. They expect someone to pay or not. They're really awkward. Ah, okay. <laughs> so yes, they, they get back to their, as you said, the gender roles. Exactly. Well, you have to be honest and to be to make the audit of your own relationship towards money. Usually uh, when I gave advice to people about how dealing with sex slash love and money is first to be okay with yourself and to know where do you come from? You know, like in which environment you, you grow up, what is your relationship with money? What does money mean to you? Is it a way of fulfilling? Is it a way of fulfilling your dream? Is it a way of fulfilling yourself? Do you like to own money just because of the fact of knowing to, to own? And once you've made this little audit to take a financial term of your relationship towards money, You know your base. And if you know your base, you know your limits. And it's very important in every relationship to know your limits about money, what you're willing to accept and what you're willing not to. Therefore, when you're okay with yourself, with your, okay with your boundaries, as soon as you're going to get into a relationship, it will be more easier to put these boundaries up because you know them. You know, you're not going to be influenced, as you said, by a gender role or You're not going to be influenced by love, you know, <laughs> like, oh, everything is perfect. Everything is pink. I live. It's like a, a wonderful world. No, if you know your boundaries, if you know your limit, if you know what you're willing to accept, what you're willing not to accept, if you know how much, if you're living with a person, how much you want to put in the rent, if you want to make a ratio in terms of the, the spendings, then it's going to be fine. But just before you speak to your partner, be sure to be okay with yourself. And I think it's a great advice for kind of every <laughs> topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like uh, the problem I found when I'm in therapy with people is like when you ask the question of limit, it's always blood. You, you never know. They never know. 
Like, what are you willing to accept in terms of, it can be about any topics, about fidelity. Like, we don't all have the same vision of what is loyalty, fidelity in a relationship. What is cheating for you? What is cheating for me is different. And it's the same with everything. Like, what is my limit? What I'm willing to accept in terms like, I don't know, spending time with uh, my uh, partner's family. Uh, some people are very family uh, orientated and they want to spend all of their time with their family and they don't care. Some people, they can see their family once a year and it's they're fine. But if you don't have the same family in terms of space and time dedicated to your family, that can be a problem. And it's the same with everything and including money, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we've seen that money is really much more than just splitting bills because we're talking about values, goals, and even like a vision of life. So why do you think it's so important to bring the other one? To the conversation, you mean? Yeah, or like to the plans or, you know, when you do an investment, of course, it's going to impact your partner. So how can you bring them together? So it's very a tough question, in fact, because I just had a consultation with a couple two weeks ago about this. And uh, usually, as we are saying since the beginning, it's not just about money. It's about the project, the project that you share together. And it's about the projection that you have with the other one, you see. So when you have a plan to invest, and I'm thinking of this couple who really wanted to, they are above 50s together, together for seven years now. And uh, one of the partner wants to buy an apartment and the other one don't want to because he was in a previous relationship and it didn't go well. Well, anyway, and yeah, besides this question, as you said, it's so much more than just splitting the bill. And as you said, it's about values, goals, and vision of life. And uh, yeah, open up with the other one. It can be very frustrating if the partner in front of you doesn't answer. So the, the real question, and you know, as I tell, like the question about money is like an iceberg. It's not always the main reason and the main argument in the conversation. Usually it's because there is something behind. And the behind here, it's the projection and the how strongly you believe in our relationship. Yeah, I like the image of the iceberg, actually. You can only see the top, but like be, below the water, there's a, <laughs> a huge space. Yeah, you know, it's funny because in sexology and therapy, we say that there is a primary motive of consultation. And usually there is a secondary motive, which is the real reason. And with money, it's the same. You have the primary motive of the conversation, which here can be an investment. And the secondary motive will always be a deep conversation about the relationship and your consideration towards this relationship. Yeah, love that. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Cool. So now let's get into how to make the money talk more romantic. So I know you're a big fan, for example, of money dates. So can you explain which are they? How do you make them? What do you discuss there? And so on and so forth. So yeah, a money date, it's a date that occurs once a month, ideally. And the idea of this money date is to talk about money. And just about money. And it's really easy. Like you have to follow the, the pattern of past, present, future. So you're going, before coming to the money date, you're going to analyze, for instance, what happens in this month? Where are the spendings? How much money do you spend? What were the project? What do you like? What you didn't like? Both of the partner. 
Then once you arrive to uh, the money date, you talk about you and only about you by not putting any judgment on the other one saying like, listen, I realize that this month we spend this and this on this. And I think it was a good or a bad idea. Maybe we should invest on the next time on this one, or I felt uncomfortable because we went several times to the restaurant and we split the bills in two, whereas I ate uh, or drink much more or less than you did. Or uh, this is where our investment is. And I was wanted to know if you were sure. So you see, you see it's really to have a conversation, then you speak. Uh, your partner must be quiet. And once you've, you've done, your partner must not answer. Then he has or she has to do the same as you. And only when both partners have spoken, then you can react to what has been said. Because usually sometimes you will notice that both partners feel the same way and it's, it was just a misunderstanding. And so at the end of this uh, money date, once we've made like the retrospective on what happened during the last month or last six months, it depends on the occurrence, you put plans and you set up things into actions. And you think of solutions that will fit both of you. And this is how you will have the feeling of having like the power on your relationship and the power on the money and not being dumb in any way. Mm -hmm. But I really like your rules. Like um, when you speak, it's only I and not like uh, you. <laughs> and then both need to express their needs or their feelings without being interrupted. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's not me. I have to say it's uh, just uh, the principles of the nonviolent communication. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but still, it's good to put it back here. And how can you or how should you be open about money if you're not in the ideal situation? For example, if you have bad debt or if you feel you're lagging behind or if you're splurging or something, how can you be transparent? Well... As we know, life, it's always ups. There's always, there's, they have to be done because otherwise we won't enjoy the up moments. So when you're in relationship, it's for the good, but also for the bad ways. And it's usually when you're going through resilience time, like debt issues or lagging, that you realize the resilience that you have yourself, but also you can realize the strengths of your relationship. So if you are going through rough times towards money, well, the key to any relationship it's communication it's the base for everything for sexuality for anything we need to talk because you know people when it's another topic but you will see the link when you have infidelity in a relationship more than what happens with another person it's really the fact of feeling lag behind and the fact that people they just lost trust into their partner. And if, and I'm sure on eight times out of 10, if someone was saying like, listen, uh, I'm feeling attraction to one of my colleagues and here's the conversation, how hard she is, how hard it is, was happened before, it would have been such much more different. And it's the same with the money. Like it's always hard to talk about money, I know, but the consequences of not doing so are harder. Yeah, yeah. And I think exactly that's why transparency is your best friend. And again, valid for a lot of other aspects in life. But yeah, it's about giving space and bringing empathy as well, because we all have different baggages we've seen. And yeah, so no, no judgment. We're just where we are. 
Yeah. And also like, I just going also to, um, to bring uh, something more about this. Yeah. The, the, the bad debt, it's different when it's only two personal or if the couple is involved and this is going to be total different. Now about the question I was talking, like if it's only you that is engaged financially and not the relationship, because sometimes depending on your wedding contract, it can be that all the relationship is involved. And this is another conversation and it's not the same consequences. Uh, in that case, I was only talking about if there's one person who is involved and the other one is safe. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to finish with one more question about women who earn more than their partner. You said you've studied that for your thesis to become a um, sexologist. So can you tell us more? What, what have you discovered? And why are, are men so uncomfortable or some of them? So indeed, I did study this. So <laughs> I just, to be clear, like it's a study that I made in the aim of my sexology diploma. So it's not a study of the INSEE, like it's not proven scientifically. I mean, I mean, it's a study that I made about uh, on uh, 40 couples. So it's really, I mean, it has value, but it's not statistical value. And what I realized is like in two third of the relationships of the people uh, that I interview, the relationship went very bad. So what I mean it went bad is that as soon as a woman started to earn more than their partner, the relationship ended. And though no matter the social status, no matter the job, so I interview women who were earning like 1,200 euros per month to women that were earning 12,000 euros per month you know it's what the ratio was from one to ten so it was really wide and it's always the same scenario it goes bad in two thirds of the case and how can i explain well easy like to gender roles that we have to the construction as we said that men should earn money in france until 1975 you had this idea in the law that men were responsible of their family uh, like to be the head of the family. It was in our text. Uh, and so 1975 was not that far ago. It was less than 50 years ago. So it's still imprinted in our minds. Well, crazy. But again, good to know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, because I really like what you said, Marieke. Like, uh, I don't know, like we, we tend to think that we don't depend on the people that were before us. I mean, before us, like our ancestors. And however, each of us, and it's very important to remind this, we carry our history, we carry our family history, we carry our behavior, our stereotype behavior, and it's okay. And it's normal because this is what we call filiation. However, sometimes this filiation is not that good. <laughs> no, exactly. You carry it whether you want it or not, but it's again... A big question of awareness and then okay I can you move away from it or I can you embody it more but yeah awareness comes first always cool yeah I think that discussion was amazing I really enjoyed it I learned a lot thank you for giving like all the perspective around sexology and and uh, money because again it's not necessarily a theme that you would put together but it's super linked so thank you so much and um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that discussion with you. Well, thank you for your question. It was uh, very interesting. And I hope that uh, you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I did, clearly. <laughs> thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you, Marika. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. 
You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.